God blesses those who are poor. Theirs is the kingdom. God blesses those who mourn. They will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble. They will inherit the earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice. Oh, 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 oh. Jesus went up to the mountainside and gave us words of wisdom. Jesus went up to the mountainside and showed us a brand new life. God blesses the merciful, they will be shown mercy. God blesses whose hearts are pure, they'll see God. God blesses those who work for peace, they will be called children of God. God blesses the persecuted, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Oh, 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 oh. Jesus went up to the mountainside. James was both passionate and practical. He talks about putting, well, your boots on the ground. He was the half-brother of Jesus. Last week we spent quite a bit of time just giving a little bit of background. And if for some reason you missed last week's message, maybe you could get that podcast because I'm not going to be Well, looking a whole lot at the background of James, we're going to jump right in. But if we're honest, and we recognize that James was Jesus' half-brother, and that James grew up in the exact same household as Jesus, how amazing is that? I mean, every one of us would have loved to spend a little time with Jesus, maybe a lot of time with Jesus, but to literally grow up with Jesus. What was odd, though, is that James didn't jump in to the Messiah pool very quickly. He knew his brother was different, but he didn't actually believe really early. He grew up in a godly home. He understood the Old Testament scriptures. He knew that the Messiah was coming. But he just wasn't that convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. He did eventually come to faith, but it was after the resurrection. And once that happened, it just seemed like the Holy Spirit ignited James. 
He was part of the early church leadership team. He was a passionate pillar of the church. And his reputation was quite odd. His reputation was one of a great prayer. In fact, they called him Camel Knees because he spent so much time on his knees in the temple praying. James wrote his letter to a persecuted, scattered group of Jewish believers. He knew what they were going through. He understood the Roman oppression at this time, and even the pressure from the Jews. People have come to faith. People were growing in their relationship with God. And yet they were losing jobs. They were scattered. Life was difficult for them. James knew the struggle. But he also knew listening to Jesus was going to be the answer. James was concerned with the spiritual immaturity of these believers. He saw his brothers driven by emotions and embracing the culture. These Christians that he was writing to simply were not growing up. But James wanted his friends to endure. James wanted them to experience abundant living. So he wrote a letter so that they might be complete and they might finish standing strong. So the main theme of the book of James is that real faith produces genuine works. In other words, how you live your life literally shows who your God is and what you believe. James knew the Old Testament scriptures, and he was highly influenced by the way that Jesus walked and what he taught, especially as we're going to see even today, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus did bring good news, and James knew that. And when he responded, his life changed. You see, the king had arrived. Jesus ushered in the kingdom. He changed the price tags, and he literally told us how to live, what it means to live under his rule, under his reign. And kingdom people, well, they stuck out like sore thumbs. At least some of them. James did have some advantages. I mean, he did hang out with Jesus. But literally, he's on the same journey that we are on. And the journey is this. Spending time with Jesus. Learning from Jesus. So that we can live like Jesus. Last week, James opened the book in rather an odd fashion, I thought. There wasn't a whole lot of fruffy, and there wasn't a whole lot of, hey, how you guys doing? He jumped right in and cut to the chase. He said this, believers can have joy in the midst of trials and temptations. That you will have rough times. The world is broken. But I want you to know that I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk with you in those trials. 
I'm going to be there for you. Sharon and I have this little uh, plaque, and it says this, for this, we have Jesus. I know, it's very cute. And you're all ooing and eyeing. But, but realistically, this little frame helps me focus. Helps me realize that when I walk and things get really rough and the water seems to be swirling and, and the boat seems to be sinking... That's why Jesus is here. That's what will give me strength. He promises to be with me. This week, James is going to give us some practical advice for the journey. So if you could, turn your flat screens or your, turn your Bibles to James chapter 1. And I'm going to start reading verse 5. James chapter 1 starting at verse 5. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person who has divided loyalty is unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Let's pray. Lord, we ask as we open up your word that your spirit would be so abundantly active. We know, God, that your word strengthens us and convicts us and encourages us. Lord, we need to hear from you today. We need to hear from you every moment. But we ask you today, Father, that you would use your servant, James, and that he would help us do the journey well that we would understand how to live life, how to live it wisely, how to make it count. Father, my guess is is that you're going to convict some of us. You're going to comfort some of us. You're going to ignite some of us. We pray, dear Lord, that as your word is opened, that you would work. We also pray, Father, for all those other churches that are meeting, all those other communities all over this area, in this nation, in our world. As people gather to worship and adore you and hear from you, we ask you, God, that you would strengthen your church, that it would be salt and light. And that we, Father, would be part of your kingdom movement. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You see, trials always increase our prayer life and our need for wisdom. 
James talked about trials in the first few verses. And then he starts off in verse 5, if you need wisdom. Probably it'd be better translated, and, and it's just a hard word to translate there, and almost all your Bibles have it, but I would probably translate it since. Since you need wisdom. And then he literally gives an order. It's not even a suggestion. He talks about joy in trials and temptations. And then he just says this, because you're going to have those, you're going to need wisdom. I'm going to need wisdom. So ask your generous God and he will give it to you. James sees wisdom as knowing God's ways and walking in God's ways. It's going to be important that you understand that as he chats through wisdom. To help you understand a little bit where he came from, it would be in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. James not only was highly influenced by Jesus in his teachings, but you can see, especially from Proverbs chapter 1 all the way to chapter 9, there are little snippets all the way through this letter. And so I'm going to read to you from Proverbs 3, starting with verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom or with man's wisdom, as we're going to talk about in a moment. Instead, fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. Since we all need wisdom, we must ask God, who is a generous God, for wisdom. How do I live? What is my response to the news I just received? What attitude should I have toward, oh, oh, you know, God? Especially in light of trials and temptations. There's other ways to gain God's knowledge, but the primary way is through God's Word. It's by understanding God's Word. It's by knowing God's Word. And it's by listening to God's Word. That's why the ministries here at Crosspoint always involve God's Word. We know that it will strengthen and convict and encourage. It will help us as we obey Jesus. As God gives us principles. Now, the problem is that some of us don't like God's advice. We just don't. In fact, we kind of think it's God's advice. But <laughs> God doesn't give advice. He's not saying, hey, if you feel like it. And that's a little bit what James is saying. He's saying, hey, God will give you wisdom. God has given you wisdom. We need to be able to listen to it and walk in his way. For example, 
Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, well, he gave us a life principle. One that every one of you know, one that every one of you perhaps have even memorized. It's in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first God's kingdom. Okay, well, what does that mean today? Well, make every choice that you make so that the kingdom might be benefited. How you spend your money today, so that the kingdom's benefited. How you spend your time today, so that the kingdom might move forward. Well, wait a minute, I, I normally don't do that. I know. Normally we're pretty self-focused. Normally we make decisions that benefit our kingdom or ourselves. But literally what James is saying here is, if you want wisdom, you ask God for wisdom. And when God gives us the wisdom, we need to have faith in God that he knows what he's talking about. Not to waver, not to go back and forth, but to realize, hey, God's word and God's principles on how to live abundantly, they make a difference. We must trust God. We cannot waver because wavers should not expect to experience life. They're going to be unstable. James then helps us understand the difference between God's wisdom and man's wisdom. And as I said, we hit one part. We're sort of following chapter one, but all the rest of the letter, he kind of hits all these different scenarios. So turn with me, James chapter three. Just a page over or so. James chapter 3, and I'm going to start reading verse 13. If you are wise and understand God's ways, remember that's James' definition of wisdom. All right? Prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with humility that comes from wisdom listening to God. But if you are bitterly jealous and there's selfish ambition in your heart, don't, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthy, unspiritual, and demonic. For whenever there's jealousy and selfish ambition, you will find disorder and evil of every kind. Verse 17. But the wisdom, the way of God, the wisdom that comes from God, how God designed us, is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving. It is gentle at all times and will yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. The wise understand God's ways. They know God's ways. They're understanding God's word and God's principles. 
They trust God, even though it seems a little odd to obey God in all of these situations and circumstances. They walk in God's ways. They have boots on the ground. But man's wisdom crashes and burns. The focus of man's wisdom is man. It's man. Man is all about themselves. Jealousy and selfish ambition drive or fuel man's ways. Man's ways breed boasting and lying and disorder and evil. Their fruit is earthly and unspiritual and demonic. And we stop and pause a little bit, and, and most of us don't put us in that category. But there's really just two categories, James is saying. Either you are God or God is God. And either you're going to listen to me and my word and my principles and live according to it and enjoy the fruit and the blessing, or you're going to go your own way. You're going to satisfy your own desires. You're going to live your own life. And the fruit of that seems rather dismal. But God says this. God's wisdom, or God's way of life, well, those who listen to God, But if you go back to verse 13, it's not those who just talk about listening or just know a lot about God. It's those that literally listen and obey. They trust God. They believe that God is king and that the king knows best. How cool is that? And James just says this, you know what? If you are walking in God's ways, prove it. Prove it. I'll know if you walk with God, if you live honorably and serve others humbly. I'll know this. God's ways, the way of wisdom breeds Jesus or reflects Jesus. If you are walking in God's ways, if you are listening to God, if you are applying God's word, literally, every day you will change, I will change. Every day as we spend time with the king, he convicts us of areas, or as I said, he chips away things that don't reflect God very well. Maybe it's the way we talk. Maybe it's the way we dress. Maybe it's the way we spend our time. Maybe it's the way we look at the computer. Maybe it's the way, and you just keep filling it in. But God says, hey, wait, wait, wait. Your attitude over here, that's, that's not my attitude toward that young lady or that clerk or the person in customer service that you've been waiting for almost 10 minutes now. Like the person in customer service is really the enemy, folks. You know? 
She's probably getting paid 12 bucks an hour. Cut her some slack. All right? But no! Jesus treats people differently. He just does. In fact, it sticks out how differently they treat people. James just kind of lists some things. He says, hey, if you're listening to God, you're going to be pure. Pure. It sometimes scares us a little bit. The New Testament word would probably be holy. All right? And really, if you're, you know, inside saying, well, I, that's not really my reputation I want. I do not want to really be holy. All holy means is clean. That, that's it. But if you walk with God, you want to hear from God, you want to listen to God, you want to respond to God, you need to be clean from your sin. You need to, I need to relentlessly confess sin when I disobey God. One of the things is I connect with different people, not just folks off the street, but folks I know. Let me just ask them a question like, when's the last time you confessed any sin? Who you? Hey, wait a minute. I'm not asking you about what sin. I, I'm, I'm just really asking. When's the last time you confessed sin? Huh. Let me think. Well, it was at least a couple years ago. I, God talks to me. I hope this doesn't like get me fired. But like 10, 15, 20 times a day, how I talk, how I think, how I've responded to people. Father, it's wrong. I'm sorry. Lord, take that away. Help me think. Help me talk to you before I speak. And it just goes on. I think again that We do offend God an awful lot. But as we walk with God, we do reflect Him better. And we sin less. I I believe that. It doesn't mean you become sinless. It, It just means you're more sensitive to those things. And so you confess it quicker. And as you confess it, you're pure. And so I just think those people who reflect Jesus, although He never sinned, He was clean, He was pure. He had this perfect relationship with the Father. How cool is that? He could talk back and forth. He knew exactly who to talk to. He knew when to talk to him. He knew what to say. That's what I want. I want to spend time with my Father so that I know all those things. The Spirit is just prompting me. But he was pure. Secondly, he says, well, God's way or God's way of wisdom, those folks, they love peace. There's a lack of conflict. They're not always trying to start an argument. In fact, what's interesting, they are peacemakers. They go after where there's conflict. Not just if you're the second child. Now, you know, I mean, you know, first child, third child, second child, man, they have no fights in the household. I get it, you know. But maybe we all need to be second children, you know, in line. Wow. 
That's what happens when you walk with God. When you walk with God, you are gentle. Now, again, some of you don't, don't think that's too bad, but gentle really is the opposite of harsh, okay? Nobody likes harsh. Whoa, you're wearing crabby pants today. I mean, that's not a good thing to have someone say to you, all right? Snipping at them and snapping at them and, and whatever at them. But if you walk with God, you're going to treat others gently. They are merciful. Merciful. They treat others better than they deserve. I was talking with a young lady yesterday. And she just was exasperated. And I know she loves the Lord. I know she walks with God. But she was just kind of venting. And sometimes, you know, I ask God, are are they just venting? Am I supposed to fix this? Am I supposed to give them script? God, what am I supposed to do? I'm just standing here and things aren't going well. And at the end, I I just looked at her. And I said, "Can can I tell you something I'm learning and I'm being convicted about? Sure. I didn't know if this was going to work or not, but I, but I, I said, you know, one of the things I know is that Jesus was really merciful. He's merciful to me. He, he treats me differently than I deserve. I, I just know that. And I'm just wondering if maybe if you would treat this person mercifully rather than bringing the hammer down, if things might go differently. And all of a sudden, there was just a softness. I I don't know where that's going to go with that young lady. I, I don't. But it was just one of these things where all of a sudden, this person is, uh, okay, but, but the way of Jesus is different. And he will give us courage to treat others in the way that we ought, not the way we should. This was interesting. They are willing, if, if you're listening to God and you are people that listen to God, they will be willing to yield to one another. They don't always get their own way. Isn't that hard sometimes? Like, even if your way is always best? <laughs> don't we kind of think our way is always best? I mean, come on. Just a little, little truth there. So if they don't agree with us, like, what's their problem? But really yielding, allowing others to be compromising and not rigid. Literally, this group of people, they do good deeds. And I was just kind of thinking, maybe there's really some Greek in here that will help me what good deeds are. Maybe there's some great translation that, that, that will help me what good deeds are. And you know what I really came to a conclusion? Good deeds are good deeds. Not, not that hard. You actually do good for others and encourage them on the journey. And so it's because really you'll stick out if you treat your neighbor 
Well, the way Jesus has asked you to treat your neighbor. You will. And then lastly, ah, not lastly, but just about lastly, they don't have favorites. They don't have favorites. We all have favorites. Don't we have favorites? My kids tell me all the time that they're my favorite. And I tell them, absolutely. Until the other one comes by and tells me they're favorite. Uh, yes, you're my favorite. But realistically, there are people around that we'd rather hang out with. We would. And there's some that are a little bit repulsive. And there's some that, ah, and you just put it in. But, but you know, when you walk with Jesus, the status and the intelligence and the personality and the wealth doesn't matter for us. And that is hard for us. So all of a sudden, if one of you guys give me a call and say, Pastor, this is what happened. Can you help me out? Whoa! I have much more of a bent to do that. If I have some lady come walking in the door, She's rather old. She doesn't smell that good. She has a willy or, or a dilly of a story. Because they all have dillies of stories. And if they don't get gas money right now, they'll never get to the doctor and their cancer will spread and they'll die. Okay. God. I'd really have a lot of stuff to do. <laughs> you really want me to talk to this lady because she's driving me a little crazy. You know, how come I don't see her differently? I don't all of a sudden drop everything to take care of her. And God's growing me and growing us to do those things. But it's true. If I'm going to live like Jesus. Jesus really didn't have the reputation of, you know, hanging out with the hootie tooties, you know, or, or those, the high end on, on, the, <laughs> on the social spectrum. He really didn't. And Jesus is changing my eyes. Lastly, Jesus said this, these folks are going to be sincere. That means their, their motives literally are honorable. That there isn't any place for passive-aggressive Christians. I, I keep using that term. You can't smile at someone and say yes and then turn around and not do it. It doesn't work that way. That's insincerity. And God changes us from the inside out. Because spending time with Jesus and learning from Jesus helps us live like Jesus. You know, our scripture, just this last part, had to have reminded some of you of how Jesus started his Sermon on the Mount. So if you would, 
I'd love for you to turn to chapter 5 of Matthew. And we're eventually going to get there. But before we read the Beatitudes, don't worry, not all chapter 5, 6, and 7, just the Beatitudes. I want to talk just a little bit about the word blessed, or if you have King James, blessed, all right? Before we read our text, I think it's important that we understand what blessed is. Because literally, you'll sneeze and someone will say, bless you. Or you'll have a conversation, I've been so blessed. And we use the term a lot, but I'm not so sure Jesus used the term exactly the same way. To be blessed is not a superficial feeling of well-being based on circumstance, but it's a deep supernatural experience of contentment based on the fact that your life is right with God. To be blessed, to be blessed is the highest and greatest place a person can be. Blessed is based on completely a new way of thinking, and it's countercultural. And it, it's an extreme standard of selflessness, completely contrary to our natural bent. In Christ's kingdom, the most exalted people are those who are the lowliest in the world's estimation. You see, the blessed. The blessed, <laughs> when Jesus uses blessed, it is not dependent on our self-effort or our self-righteousness, but on the new nature God graciously gives us and the relationship that he offers. So some of your translations will read, happy is the person. And I'm not thinking that's so bad, but in our context, most of the time, happy focuses on good circumstances. And that's really not what Jesus is saying. So I'd like you to listen. Matthew chapter three, uh, chapter 5, starting at verse 3, and you can follow along on the screen if you'd like. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Jesus, in the very beginning of his Sermon on the Mount, where he was literally changing all the price tags and trying to describe what his kingdom looks like, Starts off with the Beatitudes. Starts off with describing what people who walk with him look like. 
These are not lists to try to do every day. This is something that will happen to you and to me as we realize that we are new creations and allow God to chip away the things that don't reflect him well. God said that those will be blessed. Those will experience abundant life. Those will realize all that the kingdom has to offer. If you depend upon God wholly, blessed are those who are poor in spirit that recognize their dependence on God is critical. They can't do life without God. They're not the spiritually elite. They don't have a special place in church or in the synagogue. But that they need God daily. Blessed are those who mourn. Who look around and they understand the culture. Those who are running away from God. Those who are well, going their own way and how much they're hurting. There's tears. Maybe there's tears over the sin that you've committed. But you're sensitive. You're recognizing that God's given you different eyes. Blessed are those who are humble. Literally, well, treat others better than you treat yourself. It's a time of serving. It's lifting others up. Those are the people who will experience life. This is odd. Those who, who hunger and thirst after justice. They, they see how broken our world is here. They recognize that Jesus is their only hope. Blessed are those who are merciful. So many of the same words that James used. Blessed are those who are pure. Blessed are those who work for peace. Blessed are those who suffer doing right. These are kingdom people. These are the folks that will stick out. They're not arrogant, they're humble, they're loving, they're gracious, they're merciful. Really, really different than what's important in our world today. Let me wrap up. James' description of the way of wisdom or the Beatitudes that we just read, they are not a checklist. They aren't. It's more like a report card or a progress report. Not again are you going to get an A or a B as you stand before Jesus. But it's, hey, I'm not displaying some of these. I am not as merciful as I'd hoped. I am not, and you see this and say, Lord, you've got to change that from the inside out. 
I need to spend time with you. You need to give me grace. You need to give me power. I depend on you every single day to act like this because I can't do this by myself. I can't. I think it highlights growth points or areas that need to be confessed or shows a lack of intimacy with the Father. And all those things can happen daily and often. You know, we need wisdom for the journey. We don't get it. We need to be able to be in God's Word. But not just know about God in His Word. But listen. James just says, he he just goes there over and over and over again. If you just know about it, doesn't count for much. But if you know God, and you listen to God, and you obey God, your boots on the ground are going to be so different. And the kingdom will move forward. May we trust God today to change us recognizing our inconsistencies and our failures, but also receiving God's grace, thanking Him for what He's done, and asking Him to change us from the inside out. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your grace. I thank You for modeling for us what it means to have a perfect relationship with Your Father. Thank You for helping us understand how to treat others differently. Lord, we have such a selfish bent. We desire, well, for our needs to be met first. And for us to get the accolades. Lord, would you change us from the inside out? Would we live honorable lives because we spent time with you? Would people be drawn to you because of our lives? We pray this in your son's name. Amen.